This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each month, we explore love and sex by asking a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This episode contains explicit material. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This week's question is, has the rise of internet dating made it impossible to meet someone in real life? So the idea for this episode came from the fact that in a relatively paperless office, I print a lot of stuff, which means I spend a lot of time by the printer chatting with all the people who sit around it. Now, one of those people mentioned that standing by the printer is exactly how she met her now husband. That got us intrigued. So my husband and I worked together um, at a magazine in around the 2000s, early 2000s. And I first noticed him in a meeting because he was really tall, taller than everyone else. And he was super cute. Um, But he wasn't, I didn't work directly with him. But crucially, he sat near the office printer where you printed stuff back then because back then you you did that. You printed out pages of, of information or like you'd see an article on the web and you would print it out to read it for some reason. That escapes me now and I would never, ever do in 2015. But back then I did it. And so he was really, really cute and he sat next to the printer. So I found myself printing more and more and more articles from the web that I thought were really interesting that, let's be honest, I never, ever read after I printed them out. They would just stack up on my desk. So I would go to the printer, and while I was standing there waiting for my printout, because I would go right away, I would talk to him, and I'd be like, hey, how's it going? You know, whatever you say in offices, oh, the snow is really bad, or whatever dumb thing. Karina, I noticed that you come by my desk a lot, but I have to tell you something. I'm gay. All the good ones are. Slowly, over the course of days and weeks, as the articles from Slate or whatever I was printing piled up, we talked more and more. Then one day, finally, my ultimate printer conversation starter, I had just rented a new apartment downtown, and I had to paint it. And um, so I was standing at the printer, waiting for my article printouts, whatever dumb stuff I was printing, so I could talk to him. And I said, hey, do you want to come help me paint my new apartment? Not really thinking he would say yes, because who would say yes? But he said yes. And he came and he painted, helped me paint my new apartment. And that was like our first date. And now we're married and we have two kids. I love that story so much. That's so good. This was 10 years ago. And Emily's story proves that a lot has changed since then. One time I remember I was shopping in the supermarket and some guy like asked me out. Like that stuff used to happen. I don't know if it still does it still happen? No. Doesn't happen anymore. A lot has changed, but Karina and I are swept up in the idea of people meeting organically in real life. So this episode will be devoted to figuring out the issue of online dating, why the pros still recommend dating offline and what everyone can do to pursue the people they meet out in the wild. Printing may or may not be required. Our first expert is Amy Van Doren, who is kind of like the fairy godmother of matching, and she kind of looks like a fairy godmother too. Or maybe a mermaid meets mod 70s pop star. She's gorgeous, and she waltzed into our studio with this 
bright orange hair and huge white sunglasses. I'll be frank, I'm kind of in love. But anyways, unlike most matchmakers, she takes on all kinds of clients and has a pretty impressive track record of engagements and love stories to show for it. I've been noticing as online dating becomes more and more popular, especially with Tinder and Happened and all these like instant gratification um, apps, I have been noticing that people are a little bit more confused with my friendliness. I mean, I remember when I first moved to New York, I would be walking down the street and online dating was, you know, it was like 10 years ago. It wasn't such a thing. Um, Yeah, I find it to be difficult now. People do get a little bit confused and it's almost becoming something like if you're talking to strangers in real life, people are a little bit thrown off or scared or they feel like you're selling something to them. Like people are immediately like, why are you talking to me? I'm like, well, we're at a bar. Like I I thought that that's what bars were for. We're to talk to strangers. Um, I was even, I was sitting at my friend's bar the other day and I was noticing two very attractive single people sitting next to each other, not talking, both using Tinder. And I just wanted to shake them and be like, you're both two attractive single people. Just turn to the left. Like your person's there. Um, but I do find that it's people are using the online dating as sort of, instead of it being some, another tool to meet people, they're using it as a crutch to not meet people in real life. I wish Amy could go out with me to the bar and help me find my perfect match. Be careful what you wish for, Noah, but more on that later. Wait, what? Let's learn more about Amy first. For me, I've always been the kind of person that's worn sort of outlandish outfits, whether it be like a lobster on my head or giant eyeglasses or have orange hair. I've I've just always been a little bit zany. And I was walking down the street and somebody was like, oh, my gosh, your outfit is amazing. What do you do for a living? And I didn't want to say I worked in fashion and I didn't want to say that I was doing I was an actress at the time and I didn't want to say I did that. So I um, I said I was a matchmaker. But at the time, I didn't know that that was a job. It was something that I was doing, um, but I didn't know that like it was an actual profession. And that ended up being a story that ran in the um, ran on print, and people ended up being like, "Oh my gosh, we've been looking for you. We're so burnt out on online dating. Um, we want to hire you to do the thing that you've always I've always done it, but I just didn't know that I could like make it my my living." Even like in elementary school, I used to have like dating mixers at the mall where I'd invite all the like boys that my friends would like and I'd try to like get them to talk to each other or um, yeah, just like I've always been extremely interested and involved in other people's love lives. But also I just get like a satisfaction from connecting things. So whether it be like people with the right job or um, my friends joke because I have like a obsession for like matching my clothes and like everything in my life matches. And so I don't know, I'm starting to think that I might have some sort of minor form of OCD. Everything in her life really does match. But for the first time in 10 years, she doesn't have a match. She's single and she's been experimenting with online dating. I can only imagine how fabulous her Tinder profile is. Yeah, I got a little obsessed with Tinder. I spent like a week straight. Like I wasn't sleeping at night and I just like kept swiping. And, you know, I live in Brooklyn. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of single people in in Brooklyn. And I actually got to the point where I ran out of people to swipe. (laughs) I swiped everyone. (laughs) How does that even happen? She swiped through everybody in Brooklyn? It's true. It's happened to me. And I feel like either you swipe through everyone or you encounter the same people over and over. And that's sort of one of the huge problems with online dating, I think. Everyone is looking for the next best thing. And they're looking for people to 
people are, instead of thinking of like, how can I get to know this other person? They're so focused on the question of what am I looking for that they're not like, nobody's going to like, we don't know what love looks like. Um, and I don't think that people should limit what the great love of their life could be to like their, to their idea of what love is. I think that love should be some sort of, it should be an extension of two people's collective imaginations. And I think that people are becoming less creative. And instead of figuring out how can I figure out a way to love this person, people are trying to figure out like, oh, does this person meet my like arbitrary criteria of what I think that I deserve in a match? And so it's become, love has become, I think now, very transactional. It feels like going to the grocery store and like people are like reading the ingredients and, um, and very consumptive instead of this thing where we figure out a way to go deep with somebody. This is actually just so tragic to me because I feel like this is the first era in human history where love doesn't have to be transactional. I mean, marriage started as a transaction where you were transferring a woman from her father to her to-be husband. And we don't have to do that anymore. We have all these incredible choices. And the fact that we're defaulting back to a transactional type of romance in spite of that is kind of one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. And like Amy pointed out, while there are so many different ways to meet people, it's not like people are getting better at meeting people. So this system that we've chosen isn't working out that well. Right. And not only do we no longer seem able to meet people in real life, it seems like we really don't even know how to talk to each other if we aren't using emojis. Which kind of explains the rise of the dating coach slash pickup artist industry. Love them or hate them, there's a wide open market for people who can teach you how to interact when you're actually in the same room as the person you're trying to talk to. My name is Nick Savoy, and I've been a dating coach for the last 12 to 15 years. I run lovesystems.com, which is the largest and oldest dating coaching shop for men in the world. I'd say we get three broad types of customers at Love Systems. I'd say there's one element of it, maybe 15% of guys that are, you know, what I'd say the 40-year-old virgins. The guys that just really, they might not actually be virgins, they might not be 40, but they're guys that really just have not had much success with women at all. And there we have, I mean, they're, you know, we know what to do. We build stuff from the ground up, build stuff from the ground up. It sometimes takes a little bit of time, but had a ton of success stories out of out of those guys um, and I really enjoy working with with the guy with, with those guys and then there's another group that's about the same size on the opposite end and those are guys that are pretty good with women already and they really just they want to be players either they want to be you know have fun for the next you know year or to, so before they settle down or maybe that's just the lifestyle they want to lead and they want to be with a different hot woman every night. Um, and, and, you know, live life like it's a porn movie and, and that's all good. And we'll show them how to do that as well. For the most of our clients are somewhere in the middle and they want more options and better options in their dating life. So it's not that they're desperate to settle down. It's not that they're avoiding settling down. And like, like a lot of people, these you know these guys are open to different sorts of relationships depending on you know who they're who they're talking to who they've met and so on but most of these guys what they want is they want to be in a position where they choose the women they're interested in and have a good chance of making something happen as opposed to 
where a lot of them are now, which is where they basically they're sitting back and they're choosing from among the women who happen to be interested in them. And a lot of them feel like they're settling or they're going to be alone. Actually, that doesn't sound too bad. But Love Systems is definitely geared more towards straight guys. So we sought out the opinion of female pickup artist and self-proclaimed professional seductress Arden Lee. She was able to explain why pickup artists get a bad rap. Pickup artistry absolutely has a negative connotation these days. And frankly, for most people who have not been in the community and studied its, uh, it, its, its work, I wouldn't blame people for having an incredibly negative opinion. Unfortunately, there's a, a real irony to the pickup artist community because so many of the coaching companies that are out there have this really strong knowledge of how to influence opinion on a micro level, as in what are the things that I need to say or do to get this girl to smile or laugh at my jokes or invite my touch or want to be around me, want to have me in her life. And yet on a macro level, they're terrible at branding because it's like, dude, everyone in the world hates you right now for the the things that you're doing. Um, for example, you know, I got a lot of media inquiries about uh, Julian Blank, who, um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, was a pickup artist from a, a company uh, that uh, basically the misogyny that he either straightforwardly advocated or um, at the very least joked about in a way that A, wasn't funny, and B, I don't think a lot of the men who follow him could probably tell it was a joke— um, Basically, that that got a campaign started that got him kicked out of not only the hotel that he was teaching in in Australia, but actually Australia itself, and then later the UK. So basically, this pickup artist got banned from two different, you know, countries <laughs> uh, for teaching pickup in the style that he did, and uh, uh, and and I don't I don't blame them, and I don't. Uh, I absolutely do not advocate whatsoever uh, his style of teaching, uh, whether it was supposed to be funny or not. Um, And so the company he works for was really unable to see how problematic this was. And their response of like, oh, no, 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 it was it was just a joke is is really uh, it's not it's not an okay response. Uh, It's not it's not conscientious. It's not uh, taking into account the responsibility that it has to its platform who are a bunch of guys who may take this stuff kind of literally because they are guys who are reading the internet. Okay. I get what she's saying here. It's easy to make an argument from bad examples, but come on, even somebody as terrible as Vladimir Putin is allowed to go to Australia. It was started (laughs) as a freaking prison colony. (laughs) What I find frustrating personally is that hearing a story like, oh, here's this kind of awkward, shy guy who didn't really know how to talk to girls, and he went out and studied pickup, and he learned how to improve his life, and he got a great girlfriend and settled down, and now he's great and incredibly loyal to her, and they're both happy. That doesn't make for a very sensational media story. So we don't tend to hear stuff about the positives of pickup very much because the negatives of pickup are, are, are so, you know, are so compelling, you know, oh my gosh, a pickup artist got kicked out of two countries for teaching his material, you know, and, uh, and it makes me sad, quite frankly, because I've seen the way that the pickup has changed so many lives for the better, you know, um, 
not only the people who uh, who end up studying it, but also their partners, because it gives those people who study it the confidence to be in relationships with the kind of people that they want and to to be in those relationships in a way that they have an enormous amount of self-esteem, uh, that they know the value that they bring to the table and that they can be in that relationship as a good partner. And I've I've had even my own partners in in my own life thank me in a way of like wow I saw you across the room but I never would have had the guts to talk to you I'm so grateful you came over and started a conversation which is something of course that before I started pickup I would have been way too scared to be able to do so yeah so some of these pickup tactics seem to deliver results but can they translate to online dating Nick explained love systems has some very specific ways of addressing this it's a little bit of a numbers game there are, you know, these dating sites are so big. And if you're mailing, you know, 100 different women, maybe 50 of them haven't checked their profile in the last six months. Uh, you know, 25 of them get 3,000 messages a day. And so maybe not, might not even read yours. Uh, the other 25, maybe half of those have, you know, are set up filters so that your mail isn't even going to them. It ends up being this massive numbers game. But you can't just, at the same time, you can't just sort of copy and paste messages to lots of random women. It, uh, it ends up being obvious. And also the site, the dating sites themselves don't want you doing that. So they have ways of, filter, you know, of, of blocking uh, guys that are just mass messaging stuff. So what we've done is we've solved both of these problems by creating something called the Online Dating Genie. And that's a little piece of software that lives on your computer. And you program in you know, what kind of messages you want to send. And it gives you access to all the Love Systems templates. Like, this is a proven message to get a response. And of course, you'll, you'll edit it to be personal to you. And it picks up on things on a woman's profile. So let's say that you happen to be looking, you're only looking for women that are uh, under five foot six, that live within 15 miles of New York City, um, and have this characteristic and that characteristic. The tool will filter for that, and it will sit online day and night, sent mimicking human behavior and sending messages and follow-ups on your behalf. So you don't even really need to log in. All you need to do to log into the site is to you know, get phone numbers uh, from your email and call the women that you're interested in and set up dates. No, 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 make it stop. No, make it stop. You don't find this attractive. I am so glad that I am in a committed relationship and don't have to deal with this ish anymore. That makes me feel great. I'm sorry, but I don't know what to tell you. This is terrifying. What terrifies you the most? I don't know. It's like it reminds me of our future of sex episode, and we didn't even think about this. You know, we didn't even think about things like this and how they're happening and how, I mean, I, I guess my big question is, so you have this bot that's writing this perfect exchange between you and your potential mate, but what happens when you actually have to meet them in person and like be a human being? Right. And also, doesn't it just go back to the fundamental reason that you're trying to, to date someone is to get to know someone, not to get to know a bot who's doing their dirty work. Right. Well, then I guess this goes back to sort of the notion of pickup artist. It's not like matchmaker or a long-term relationship guru. True. It seems like it's maybe more about quantity than quality. But still, I can't even see how you get a deliverable when the system doesn't match who you are. Right. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. The thing I think about internet dating, uh, online dating sites, is that 
ultimately you have to meet in person. <laughs> so there's really, you know, certainly, certainly it makes a lot more options available, you know, especially now with the popularity of Tinder and as things like online dating, you know, uh, 10, 15 years ago, there was much more of a stigma to, oh, we met online and now it's become very normalized, which I think is fine. Um, but I think that ultimately it really hasn't changed dating that much because you're still going to go on that first date with that person and you're still going to have to make a good impression. And whatever you say online, I'm sure we've all had experiences where we've been corresponding with someone, we've read their profiles and their their messages seem really witty and maybe we've talked on the phone once or twice, but then you get in person and either it's a totally different vibe because maybe we've read them wrong or it's a totally different vibe because maybe they're a bit nervous being in person and for whatever reason, our, our impression of who they are online doesn't quite match up with what we see in real life because uh, our mind will fill in the blanks. And of course, you know, we're going to make up things that we like and things that we're attracted to. We're never going to assume anyone. We're never going to assume anyone looks worse than their photos. We're all, we, you know, we're all going to think that that they look, uh, you know, as good as their best one and, uh, and, and fill in all the details that we need to create our ideal fantasy figure, because that's what we so hope for. Uh, and then we get in person and, and basically if you, if you don't have the social skills to meet people in person in the way that pickup artistry teaches, whether you're studying pickup artistry or whether you're just naturally charismatic or whether you even think of it as just just regular run-of-the-mill people skills, you're still going to flub at online dating if you can't walk the walk behind the talk of your profile. This reminds me of something Amy mentioned during our interview with her. She said that just like we work out and eat well to keep our bodies in shape, we should get out into the world, be bold, and strike up conversations frequently to keep our social skills in shape. So say you're ready to do just that. Nick gave us a quick rundown of some of the most important things to keep in mind. So a lot of guys make two big mistakes when approaching women uh, and a whole bunch of other little mistakes as well. But the two really big mistakes, one is they hesitate before approaching. At Love Systems, we call this the eyes-feet reflex. So as soon as you see somebody interesting with your eyes, you start moving your feet to walk towards her. Even if you don't know what to say, even if you can't think of anything to say, even if you walk up to her and you end up saying something stupid like, I wanted to meet you, but I couldn't think of anything to say, even that is better than glancing over at her, looking away, walking around, looking over at her again, having a drink, getting up the courage to go approach her, and then coming up with the world's cleverest pickup line. It's actually much better, and we've tested this more times than you can count, you get a much better reaction by going up right away and saying anything uh, rather than trying to think of a really clever lie. Now, of course, in our programs, we're not sending guys in saying anything. We're sending guys in with, with stuff that's actually going to work. But even without that, you're better off approaching right away. The second mistake that a lot of guys make when approaching women is they are they just go in desperately looking for something they have in common. And so ask a whole lot of questions, which is really actually boring to most attractive women to be asked the same questions over and over by guys who you don't know anything about. So guys will come up and be like, oh, you know, where are you from? What's your name? You know, what do you do? Where did you go to school? Um, they're boring. They don't say anything about the guy. And all the guy is hoping for is that the girl happens to be from his hometown or they went to the same school or they work in a similar field. And sometimes that works. And that's why a lot of guys that don't 
you know, know about love systems, they talk about doing well with a woman as being getting lucky because that's all it is. It's they're relying on luck. But with love systems, what we do instead is we'll teach guys how to build attraction first so a woman actually cares about exchanging all of this boring information. And then once you do that, she'll be looking for commonalities just the same way you are. Obviously, Nick is talking to his core audience, straight guys. But I think this can apply to everyone, male, female, straight, queer. And I love the idea of just moving towards someone who looks interesting and not giving your mind the chance to chicken out. I think too often we sabotage ourselves way too soon, and just putting one foot in front of the other and heading towards someone who looks kind of cool seems like valuable advice. Speaking of putting one foot in front of the other, do you remember earlier when you mentioned that you wanted the matchmaker, Amy, to set you up with your perfect match? Mm Mm-hmm. So... Amy, our producer, Caitlin, and I have conspired to have exactly that happen. Amy is having a setup mixer tomorrow night, and you, my friend, are going. Oh, my God. Does this mean I'm going to meet my husband? I don't know, but if it does, I guess it means I can't go to your desk as often. It was actually pretty interesting. I went to this dive bar on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and there were about 15 couples who had been set up. Our challenge was to answer these 36 questions that purportedly will make anyone fall in love. The event was set up by the Modern Love Club and the Matchmaking Institute, which is run by Lisa Clampett, who explained a bit more about these infamous 36 questions. I'm Lisa Clampett, and I am the president and founder of the Matchmaking Institute, as well as Lisa Clampett Matchmaking. A couple months ago, I read the uh, article in the New York Times about 36 questions to fall in love, and I was blown away because one of my main theories is a desert island theory, which is you take two people and you put them on a desert island and you come back five years later and they're guaranteed to be in love if they're somewhat in the same kind of matchable category. And so I was like, oh my God, this 36 questions is actually a much more manageable way than actually putting people on a desert island. (laughs) So I feel like as a matchmaker, we're constantly looking at tools like how do people put down their walls, their defensiveness, their judgment, and their um, fears of meeting other people. Is there a tool as a matchmaker that we could actually implement? And um, we decided we were gonna put an event together to see if we can get 10 couples together. So 10 men and 10 women that don't know each other and five couples that are married for a period of time or dating for a period of time and see what happens before and after the questions. So it would be amazing if there was a tool that people could use to connect to and feel like they're like not being judgmental and actually feeling like they're like in a connection without judgment and see like if this is actually functioning as a real potential tool to help people fall in love. All right. What's the verdict? What's the verdict on these 36 questions and and your matchmaking experience? 
I think even though Lisa said the questions help people to be less judgmental, I was still judging. I was judging this person based on how he responded to the questions, and I judged him on what he looked like and what he was wearing. Maybe human beings are just shallow, or maybe I'm just shallow. But even with these insightful questions, it was still hard for me to get away from that. What I think the questions made me do was step back and not only look at him, but also take a look at myself. I was offering up really intimate things about myself, which isn't something I'd normally do five minutes after meeting someone. In the end, the guy I was matched with was a really sweet guy, and I had a really nice time with him, but it just wasn't a romantic match. So for those of you out there who haven't heard of these 36 questions before or who haven't had a chance to look at them, um, I'm going to read a couple just to give you a sense. Number 12 is, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? So this was interesting because we're both huge music fans, but neither of us have any kind of musical ability. So we both said that we would love to be able to have, you know, be able to write songs or be able to sing or play an instrument. So that was kind of cool because we were a third of the way in, but we are already seeing places where we agreed on things. Right. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that one. So here's another one. Um, number 13, if a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? Anyway, the questions are kind of like that. They Some of them are sort of cliche, but a lot of them probably are aimed at revealing sort of deeper values and deeper ideas about who you are and, and, and what you care about. And I think the other cool thing, too, is that even though I don't feel like I found a romantic match, I think I learned a lot about myself, too. And I had to think a lot about my own life, how I look at my own life, and, and I think maybe how someone will fit into my life. And so the questions, I think, actually are really useful. Now to return to our original question, Noah, do you think the rise of internet dating has made it impossible to meet someone in real life? You know, I actually don't. I think like a lot of our experts said, you should be using all the tools at your disposal. The internet is one of them, but you can't use that as a crutch. Needless to say, I'm still on Grindr and I'm on Tinder, but I'm also going to force myself to talk to that cute guy I've been secretly stalking at the gym. What do you think, Karina? What did you learn? I think I had a lot of what I already thought validated. So my boyfriend and I were set up, we met on a blind date. And I constantly think about the fact that if before meeting him, I had sort of put a list together of these characteristics that I wanted in, in a partner, he probably wouldn't fit. <laughs> he, pro- I mean, it sounds like a mean thing to say, but it's true. And it also makes me realize that People have all these expectations, like even down to how tall they want someone to be or, you know, mm-hmm. the color of someone's eyes or their hair. And you don't know what love is going to look like. You don't know what's going to make you happy. So if you can be open and, and if you can try and see people for what they have to offer instead of putting them up to this measuring stick of your own creation, I think that's when real things happen. Special thanks to our guests, Amy Van Doren, Arden Lee, Lisa Clampett, and Nick Savoy. We'd also like to thank our producer, Caitlin Boguki, and Jorge Corona for production assistance. Remember, we're also on iTunes, so please subscribe. Let us know what you think of the show in the reviews. And click those gold stars. If we get more gold stars this episode, 
HuffPost is going to launch a nationwide search to find my future husband. Right. And don't forget to tune in for our next episode, which is all about sex after 70. And if you have a story or an idea for Love and Sex that you want to share, shoot us an email at loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. Love and Sex is a HuffPost podcast. We've got a variety of shows on a variety of topics. But one I think you might love is HuffPost Weird News. Check out their episode on male escorts, which is a whole different way of looking at modern love. Peace. Wow. Good. Mm-hmm.